Hello and welcome to the Sandmop Specialty Spotlight Podcast. This podcast was created to help inform military medical students about experiences and opportunities in military medicine. We aim to interview physicians either currently in or retired from the military from all branches of service and varied specialties. Today, we are fortunate to have Dr. Brandenburg with us. Dr. Brandenburg is originally from Austin, Texas. She graduated from Toro University in Balaho, California in 2019 and completed a transitional year at Walter Reed National Military Medical Center. She then moved to Pensacola, Florida, where she completed the Naval Flight Surgeon Training. She is currently stationed in Pensacola, Florida as the Flight Surgeon for Training Air Wing 6. How are you doing today? Hi, I'm good. Thanks for having me on here today. I'm excited to have you and I'm really interested in operational medicine. So this will be very great for me personally and I'm excited to have you on. Awesome. Yeah, so uh, we'll just start by, if you could just tell, tell us a little bit about yourself, where are you from? What medical school did you, did you attend and how that was that experience? Where did you go to residency? Just whatever you'd like to share. Okay, so I grew up in a suburb of Austin, Texas called Cedar Park. And then I went to University of Arkansas in Fayetteville, Arkansas for my undergrad. After that, I moved to California in Vallejo, which is kind of the Bay Area. I went to med school there and I stayed up there for my med school rotation. So I rotated at Travis Air Force Base and in Sacramento fairly often. And then I moved to Bethesda, Maryland, where I did my transitional year at Walter Reed. And then I stayed stashed there as a GMO before I came down here to Pensacola for training and then ultimately stayed here for right now. That's awesome. And can you just share a little bit more about your specialty and your branch where even if you don't have a specialty right now, like where are you looking to go? And yeah, of course. So I did transitional year and I ultimately want to go back to do ortho, whether in the military or outside of the military. And then I'm currently a flight surgeon and obviously I'm in the Navy. So. And so what made you decide to become a physician? So initially it was my own personal experience with having knee surgeries. I had four knee surgeries as a teenager and young adult um, after cheerleading injuries. So that's what inspired me initially. And then I kind of followed one of my biggest mentors who was an army physician who was an orthopedic surgeon back home in Austin and got into it that way. And then kind of stayed on that track ever since. That's amazing. And so is he the reason you wanted to join the military or were, were there other interests besides that for the military? Yeah, he was definitely part of it. He told me about all of his experiences and I was like, oh, that sounds really awesome. Like what a great opportunity to serve and all of that. So when I went to college, I'd always planned on doing the military route for med school, whether that was HPSP or going to USIS. I ended up picking HPSP in the Navy. And then also part of it was my dad was also in the Navy. He got out very, when I was very young, I mean, he was a sonar tech submarines in the Navy. So that was part wow. of like why the Navy also. Yeah. So my husband was in the Marine Corps and infantry. And so I naturally gravitated to the Navy as well. I really like the locations. So what led you to choosing operational medicine? So when I just in general, like did Navy HPSP versus Air Force or Army, I kind of expected to have to do an operational tour. Um, And I really liked flight surgery and that appealed to me. I even rotated on a flight medicine rotation when I was a second year med student, like as a early clerkship right before third year. Um, So I thought that that was just 
a really awesome experience and I really enjoy flying and all things aviation. So it kind of got me to do that and also medicine, which was like the best of both worlds in my view. Cause right. I always kind of wanted to be a pilot when I was growing up as well. So yeah, it, that, and I wouldn't have joined the Navy if I didn't expect that. And then flight medicine in general, I just think that the Navy provides such a unique opportunity because we get to go through flight school with the students and whatnot, like a shortened version of it. Mm-hmm. So we're pretty involved. And I feel like that's unique with the Navy. Like it's a little bit different than the Air Force and the Army's flight I've school. Heard. I saw a YouTube video where they were talking about flight medicine in the Air Force is different than the Navy. And the guy mentioned like, you know, ironically, like you would think they would, it would be a little bit more hands-on in the Air Force, but it's actually very hands-on in the Navy. And it was, a, I don't remember the channel, but it was a really cool um, insight. He like did some blogging and whatnot, but I want to touch back on, if I can, asking about your operational medicine. It sounds like you did a rotation. Can you share a little bit more about that? Like how do students go about that? Does it have to, is it considered an elective? I think you said it was at the end of your second year. Yeah, so I did it, it was my second year ADT. So I did it the summer of my second year of med school. It was, I think like July to August or so, maybe June, July. So it was right before the new fiscal year. And it was my first clinical rotation as a third year actually. And they have a flight medicine rotation. It's here in Pensacola. Um, They, mine was, so there's two, there's a two week one and there's a four week one. The two week one, all of the youth students go to it. And it's actually here in Pensacola at NAMI. And it's more of like a flight physical exposure thing. And they kind of go and see the facilities on base and the training that we have. And I did the four week one in Milton, Florida, which is Whiting, which is where um, some of the student naval aviators train. And it was more, you're like integrated in the clinic. So I was actually seeing patients. flying and I got to go through survival and stuff during that time so I thought it was an awesome experience and that's all I they're still doing it they just started it back up after COVID I just had a med student rotate with me actually a couple weeks ago so it's absolutely happening the contact at NAMI I believe has changed because there were some people changing around or the old guy had retired so there's a new contact there, but we can definitely like post that and stuff and recruit people. I know yeah, that they're starting to back up. And yeah, let's see if we can maybe share like points of contact. I know I personally haven't heard of anyone doing it. I've kind of heard through other students that you could do operational medicine, but it's just not something you hear too often. Personally, I hear people, I'm going to San Diego for a rotation, I'm going to Walter Reed. So I think that's a really great thing for everyone to be aware of. And I'll, I'll share it in the show. Yeah, and there's dive medicine. There's some operational research experience as well that I had friends that did, but I never had time to do that. But especially for students who had already done ODS, like their first year ADT, and they need something to do second year, instead right. of just taking school orders and taking boards, you can knock that out early and then do this. And it counts, most med schools will count it as a rotation as well. So that was actually my family medicine rotation, oh, one of them. Very yeah. cool. So you had that replace a core rotation, is that right? Or Yeah, I did. My med school allowed that. Yeah. That's really interesting. And I think maybe there's a little bit of flexibility for students. I know with COVID, there's things that are changing. There's like online and there's just like different ways of doing things now. My cohort, at least in class of 2023, COVID had just came out when I was supposed to go to ODS. And I remember hearing that it was going to be prioritized for people going directly to a fleet. So I still haven't done it, but there's a lot of things like that 
have been changing. So I think there'll be some wiggle room on maybe counting that as something else. If you do like operational rotation, that's really cool. And what, like, who would you recommend checking that out in terms of operational medicine rotations or how to, how did you navigate flight versus dive and whatnot? Yeah. In general, I feel like I personally recommend that while you're a med student to do all of these things, because mm-hmm. you may not be able to do it later. And especially now that the Navy announced that they may not be focusing on sending people operational anymore, that they're going to start bring the full contracts, the straight mm-hmm. through contracts over the next five years. Mm-hmm. So I feel like in general, it'd be a good experience. And some people, they want to do the operational thing and maybe they want to do that for their four years and do their service there and then get out and do a civilian residency, depending on Mm -hmm. uh, what they want to do, especially with the DHA cuts and whatnot. So some people may be actually pursuing straight to the operational tour, which I had some of my colleagues, they Mm -hmm. were in that boat, like they intended getting out to do like dermatology or, you know, specialties like that. So they wanted to do flight surgery for four years or three years with the one year of training and be done and get out of the Navy. So I think it's always good to have the exposure and especially if you have the time to do it and you have the ADTs and everything's, you know, they're letting you do it with COVID and whatnot. I think it's a great thing to do and it will expose you to, if you do get selected to go through for some reason, you get to see like, what is flight medicine about? If you can get exposed to dive, what is dive about? Mm -hmm. Or in general, just like a normal GMO tour because all of them are fairly different. I personally had applied for flight and dive. I was between the two. I ended up choosing flight because the billets were a little bit more what I wanted location wise. Mm -hmm. And I really enjoy flying. I'm also a diver, like recreationally. I do, I scuba dive and whatnot. And part of it was, I didn't really want that to like be my job. Like I kind of <laughs> wanted to keep that hobby separate as well. And they're both a little bit different. Like the admin of both specialties are a little bit different, like with paperwork and whatnot. Right. And traditionally dive has a little bit more, but it really depends on the billets where flights. I mean, some of the billets can also be a little bit more admin heavy, but a lot of them are I mean, you get to go fly. It's really cool. So can you share a little bit more about the billets? I've heard, now please correct me if I'm wrong. I've heard, you know, billets, if you're going to do like a GMO tour with the Marines and do like be a surgeon battalion, you have a little, like, if you want to go do that, you can like have more autonomy and selecting that billets. And depending if it's on demand, like, or if it's a high popular type of billet, you have a better chance of getting it. And I've heard that in um, like flight school, they just pick out of a hat and what you get is what you get. Is that true or is that false? <laughs> well, it's, it's relatively true. Um, <laughs> I'll explain a little bit. So basically for the GMO billets, like the straight GMO where you're not going to any training. So either on a ship or with right. the Marines, mm-hmm. um, those ones you will talk to the detailer right after match. Mm-hmm. And they will, it's like a traditional, like finding a billet with a detailer. So I want to go here, here, and here. Like my spouse is here. My kids are here, the things Mm -hmm. like that. And they try to find you a good place and you will actually find out where you're going before you finish your intern year. So most people had, or probably going, you know, it's never official until you get there, until you have your orders, but they found out relatively early. Whereas people who did flight and dive, um, we 
applied for those and they're more of a traditional application. And then you had to get um, a physical done and there were all these other paperwork things that you had to do. Once you submitted all of that, which is around the same time as GME applications, when match, when the match list came out, they also had the list for if people were going to flight or dive school. And you can apply to both at the same time, get accepted to both. And then you have like a couple of weeks yeah. to decide which oh, one you okay. want to do. Really for those though, you're just picking which class you want. So there's usually three classes a year, which those, if the, um, the numbers go down a little bit, they may like condense it to one or two classes. But traditionally, especially for flight, there's three classes a year. It's July, August, and then uh, November. And I was in the November class. So it was the last one of the year. That's why I was stashed at Walter Reed for a little bit. Okay. Um, so for flight, it you're with your class of people, which mine was like 26 other flight surgeons. We had one. I was about to ask trip. you how big was your class size? It's like 26. Yeah. So that was what it was last year. There were like 30 per class or about 90 of us this year. I believe there's only like 50 or so. So it's a lot smaller. Mm-hmm. And the classes will be a mix of other aeromedical officers. So flight surgeons, there's um, aviation optometrists, there's, I forget what they call them, like experimental psychologists or aviation psychologists. And the physiologists are also there. And they kind of go in their own curriculum, but they'll be integrated in the class sometimes with us. So sometimes it adds like 10 people or so. But we, at the end of it, there were 16 of us who were not married to other military people who were going through the colo situation for billets. So there were uh, about 10 or so people going through the co-location with the detailer. So if you're married to another Navy person or Marine, they were able to do that. The Army and the Air Force spouses, it was a little bit different, but they still kind of worked it out with the detailer. But the rest of us who were single or married to civilians, they we went through our normal billet selection for flight surgery, which is kind of an interesting thing and a little bit different than everything else because basically the detailer just gives us a list. It has 16 spots that have to be filled. There were 16 of us and we went met at someone's house and we just decided we had this lottery system that we created. Wow. So we went through that and all the classes do a similar thing. So it's up to the class to make their own decision on how it was going to be. We basically ranked our, we ranked the whole list, but the top three was how we were kind of selecting. And then at the end, whoever didn't have one did a, another like mini session of it. So there was that. Our billet list was a little bit different than the other um, classes. We didn't have a lot of operational billets and we didn't, we had like six or seven non-flying billets. What can so you describe a little, those a little bit? So um, the non-operational billets, which I'm in a non-operational billet. So this is a non-deployable billet and it's a three-year commitment instead of a two-year commitment. Um, you are eligible to go back to GME after two years though, if that's what you're doing. But if you're not going back to GME, you have to finish out your full three years. So you can't switch to another billet or get out after two years, if that makes sense. Um, so those are training squadrons, which is what I'm in. And there's also other ones that they call them BSO 18 billets and they're just non-operational GMO physician type of things, but those can be flight surgeons. They could be filled with Aeromedical examiners, AMEs, which is also another option where you can be a flight surgeon, do flight physicals, but you're not a winged flight surgeon. So you don't fly. So 
can't make it through flight school, like go through the whole thing timing wise, or if medically you have an issue that keeps you from doing it, that's an option as well. And they just added that for the undersea medical officer. I think they call it a UME, medical examiner. So it's a similar thing. So you don't have to go through all of dive school. There's an option to like do the dive physicals and be involved with it, but you don't have your bubble or whatever their warfare device is. Gotcha. So I have a couple questions that I, if I may ask, um, how was that experience having to figure it out amongst yourselves and between, so that list, would you say it's like, and you might've mentioned this, so forgive me if I'm asking redundantly, but was it more of like a half and half with operational, not operational, or is the majority operational and deployable? So um, to address your second question first, ours were non-operational. We had, I want to say two that were with the squadron and then 14 were not. And there were about like seven or eight on flying billets as well. So like the Naval Academy, other places like that, where you're going to necessarily expected to fly. And those are a little bit different too, because we get flight pay for in a flying billet. And if you're not in a flying billet, the flight pay. So it's only like $125 a month for us with our, we have such low hours. We're so new to it that it doesn't matter, but that's a thing as well. So we just didn't have a lot of them. All the other, the two classes before us, they did. So I think it was just like a timing thing. And that's not typical. Like it's not, you you can't predict if the third class is going to, sometimes the third class has the best billets and sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes it's just mixed throughout. So there's no like, well, real way to predict it. Mm-hmm. And it really depends on what you're looking for in a billet as well. I wanted operational or overseas. So that's what I had gone into it wanting and mm-hmm. it just didn't work out for me, but that's totally fine. Cause I love what I'm doing here. Yay, that's awesome. And the process of us doing it as a group, it actually worked out fairly well. Most of us got our number one choice or one of our top three. Oh, that's good. So the algorithm that we did, most people had to get their top three. And then we had four or five people who didn't get one of their top threes. And there were a couple of billets that we, we had two billets specifically that no one, it was Bahrain and Guantanamo Bay, which normally people like because they're hardship tours. But with this change with COVID, they were 24 month billets instead of 12 month. So I think it was a little bit harder for people, especially people with families and whatnot, because they they were unaccompanied other than Guantanamo Bay, but it's um, 30 months unaccompanied, but he took his family. So he's happy. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing. You also had mentioned that you like the location of the billets. Can you speak a little bit more to the location? Because I'm really interested. I like the Florida, the Florida vibes of uh, flight school. So I'd love to hear more about that. What yeah. Uh, Pensacola. It was a lovely place for flight school. It's a very nice break after intern year, especially to kind of recreate and enjoy sleep and beach and get some sun. So this was awesome. Uh, in general, I would say the flights are a little bit more closer to the beach. And there's a lot of really good overseas billets for flight versus for dive. There's more cold billets. So Connecticut, like Groton. Um, that is exactly <laughs> how I would categorize billets. I would categorize them two ways, beach 
not beach exactly. hot or cold. And I think we know what I want. <laughs> right. And that's how I would do. <laughs> and dive they had done, I'm not sure if they still do it this way, but they traditionally do it based on your rank in dive school. And it's well known that there's no female male standards and unless you're like a crazy strong female, which some people really are, but I know that that's not me. So right. I had expected to be towards the lower end of the class. So then I would have expected to get like the billet that maybe no one wanted if that. So that was a little bit different with how we did it for flight school because we were able to all have our own opinion and it wasn't based on grades or rank. So that's a, something to think about as well. Okay, so then it sounds like going back to the GMO billet where you just go straight to a GMO, you pretty much work it out with the detailer. You mm -hmm. rank and hope that you get something at the top. The other one is the detailer gives you the list and you guys figure it out amongst yourselves pretty much. Exactly. Tell the detailer. Okay, cool. And the physical requirements for flight school, can you speak a little bit to that? I hear that there are, like you have to medically qualify. Is that correct? Yes. The medical qualification for flight surgeons is a lot easier than it is for student pilots and student naval aviators, I would say. In general, the flight surgeon thing. So we're the same group as the student naval aviators who are the backseat flyers who aren't actually flying the like at controls of the aircraft. We're in the same group of physical standards so that vision requirements the same and all of that. So you, you obviously have to have decent vision or at least correctable. So you can wear glasses, but it has to be correctable to 2020 with some restrictions. And other that's like the main thing that people have issues with. And PRK is fine, LASIK is fine. There's a timeline, but if you have corrective eye surgery, those are all fine for aviation now, especially for flight surgeons. There's other things that they will waive. So like, for example, I have waivers for my knee surgeries. So that was something that I had to go through a waiver process, which was fairly easy. You just have to see the specialist and they sign off on everything. And then you, your flight surgeon submits the waiver package and they all have different requirements. So like medically qualifying for flight surgery wasn't horribly bad. It's fairly easy. You just, it's just work and you have to do all of it while you're an intern because you're applying during that time. So it's definitely a time commitment but the, your program director and whoever will help coordinate it. And there's flight surgeons around that you can go see for your exams and whatnot. So it's definitely doable. The physical requirements, like physically for fitness and whatnot, I would say you definitely be fairly comfortable in the water. There's a lot of swimming. There's like two phases of water survival. The first phase is more of a endurance type of swim type type stuff there's a tower jump there's an underwater swim and you do it mostly in your flight suit and your boots and then there's a lot of like surface swim stuff with the full gear which some people kind of get iffy about that just because I mean it it floats like you'll be fine but it definitely is different like swimming with everything on and there's a mile swim that you have to do at the end of that which was the first time I've ever swam that much, but it was relatively fine. Like, you just wear your flight suit for that in a bathing suit, obviously. And it was fun. You play music, there's underwater music. And you just, wow. you know, I finished it fairly quickly. So it was pretty cool. It was fun. So that's the first phase. And then the second phase, 
later you do all of your classes currently the way that they have it structured they keep on changing the timeline but you would do all of your classes your uh, book studies for flight school with the students and then you go to the second phase of water survival which has more swimming and gear but then also there's the helo dunker which is this big thing that looks like a helicopter like fuselage and it goes in the water because helicopters are top heavy with the rotor on top it flips over so you're strapped into your seat and it flips over and then you have to get out the window when it stops moving then you do that five or six times as a flight surgeon because you have to do helicopter qualifications and as if you were a jet pilot qualifications very cool have to be fairly comfortable in the water. There is like remedial swim for people who weren't comfortable or like have never swim a mile before and didn't know the stroke, whatever. They, there's opportunities for it. And it didn't really, it just pushes you back in training, but it didn't really like hurt anyone and no one was kicked out for anything. So benefit and a perk if you're comfortable in the water, but it's not necessarily a requirement, I would say. That's really interesting. So how long you said the training was... It's traditionally six months. Uh, it took us about eight or so okay. COVID. It also, with the flying, it depends on the weather, how quickly you can get through your flying portion. Right. So I was in the spring, there were a lot of storms. So it took us a little bit longer to get through flying, but you're here for six, eight months. There was a question I had that I didn't came up before in my mind that I'd love to go back to. You mentioned in intern year, you do your application for flight school. And you said that that's like a little bit of a timeline. It takes longer. So someone enters their intern year. At what point do they need to start thinking about applying, send in that application? How did you know who the point of contact was? Like, what if, the, if you could just kind of walk us through the intern year logistics of that, that'd be really helpful for all of us, including myself. <laughs> the way that it worked at Walter Reed, we had a person who was stashed there as waiting their, their class to start, who was going through the flight surgery process, or he had gone through the application, he was about to start flight surgeon training, and he was kind of like our point of contact. So we had him very early on, like, hey, here's your application packet to kind of get you aware of it and whatnot. But I want to say it was around August or so. And all the program directors should be encouraging it and like advertising it. There's also the uh, BUMED Roadshow that they have had. I'm sure they still will, where the, everyone from BUMED and flight surgeons and UMOs and everyone comes and talks to all of the Navy interns and it's a requirement. So army people at Walter Reed were covering our shifts and whatnot. And we went to that and they gave you all the information. They told you the timelines and whatnot about everything. Applying GME, GMO, flight surgery, UMO, and like normal career development stuff. And I, I believe all three Navy hospitals have this and it's a requirement for all Navy interns. But yeah, so we started about in August or so, like July, August. Mine took a little bit longer because I had to get waivers for my knees and whatnot. So mine's probably on the longer side, but the applications are due in October around the same time mods is due. So it was, it was fine and easy. At Walter Reed at the time, there wasn't a local naval flight surgeon. So we had to go to Pax River, which was about a two hour drive. So that was one of our issues that we ran into 
but I know that there is one there right now. He was in the class before me. So there, there's one at Andrews that's Navy. Do you apply in October? And then when do you hear back at that point, roughly? It was the same timeline as match at the time. So I heard back, it was like December 15th. Oh, okay. I know that last year match was a little bit later with COVID. So it, they probably heard around whenever their match was as well. And that's not the same for GMO billet or is it the same? I think you mentioned that it's a little longer for flight or not. Yeah. Flight. So for GMO, um, you won't know where you're going then, but if you didn't match into, this was how it was when we were doing it. I'm not sure if it will change now with the straight through option, but if you hadn't matched or say you did like a transitional year or something like that, where you don't have a categorical thing to go to, then you would find out then. And that's when you would start talking to the detailer. And I, I, I want to say it was like two or three weeks. Oh, okay. After that, yeah. People well, had an idea. Good. So that makes sense when it's like a transitional year, not a categorical thing, you kind of roll right, right into it. Okay. Awesome. So I wanted to shift a little bit more about your likes, dislikes, surprises. What do you like about operational medicine? You know, what don't you like and what surprised you most? I hope I didn't uh, stack too many, but I can give you the big picture. Yeah. So what I like, and this is kind of specific to flight, specific to flight medicine, I guess, is just being involved in the squadron and like flying and doing cool things. I get to go on cross country trips, which we will fly to various places in the country. So we've gone to San Antonio, Austin, Texas, Lexington, and I just went to Key West. We're also going on a debt for two weeks to Key West with one of my jet squadrons. So I definitely think that the exposure and like the experiences that I'm getting and I get to fly because both of the training aircraft that we have here. So we have the T-6 and the T-45 and the T-45 is the jet. The T-6 is what every student naval aviator or student naval NFO, they all fly that in their primary. It's a turbo prop plane. It's really fun, but they all have sticks in the back. So whenever I'm sitting back there, I actually get to fly, which has been really awesome. And I'm I'm learning a lot that I never thought that I would learn. Like I did a, a loop the other day. I did a barrel roll. I'm like doing all these crazy things. And wow, look at you. That's awesome. Really neat. So that's probably my favorite. I also really like the balance that we have with squadron stuff and flying and clinic. Like it's it's pretty 50-50 and flight surgeons are supposed to spend 50% of their time with their squadron. So it's awesome that it's just a really cool experience. Like you're not just in clinic all day, like it was in residency. So I do love that. Dislikes. I wouldn't say it's a, I think it was just my personal preference that I wanted to, you know, deploy or go overseas or something. So I would say that's my dislike is that I'm in a non-operational squadron and I know that I won't deploy, but I, I don't think it's a bad thing necessarily. And I really my job here. I think that kind of overcomes the fact that I'm not leaving. And I would say just in general, like being an independent physician now, like going from intern year and having residents and attendings sign off on my notes and like having someone to go to when I'm, when I have a question or, you know, I'm running my plan by someone even like just for reassurance. It was definitely a transition going from that to I'm by myself. I have no one like other than my colleague, it's me and one other flight surgeon and we're both brand new. So it's just us two. And it's definitely like an interesting thing to navigate. And you get all these questions from your pilots and they're things you've 
never really thought about, especially if you haven't like done a primary care focused training. I mean, people ask me about their kids all the time and I'm like, oh, let me text one of my pediatrician friends or something like that. So there's definitely like a lot of medical surprises. My other thing I would say is how it's a very different environment and vibe being in the fleet. And I, I'm not really in the fleet. I'm in a training squadron, but I'm still not in a hospital and an MTF. And it's definitely a different experience. You have, I mean, I go to these meetings with these very high ranking senior leadership people and I'm there as the medical expert and it's just a very different transition. And for fit reps and whatnot for the Navy, I have to find my own personal like leadership relevant bullets versus medical bullets like it would be in the hospital because these line officers are the ones who are ranking us. So we have to kind of relate with them. So it definitely encourages you to take extra jobs and do things that aren't necessarily medical focused. So that was definitely a different, not expected thing when I went into all of this. That's super helpful. Thank you for sharing. So just the last couple of questions, what advice do you have for students for choosing a GMO billet or just trying to figure out where they land in operational medicine? I remember you said doing a rotation, let's say a student can't do that. What would you say is most helpful without having any hands-on experience and they're trying to navigate that? Yeah, of course. Um, Well, they can always reach out to us too. And I mean, if they're ever in the area, they can always come shadow for the day. Like they don't have to do a full rotation as well. And there's flight surgeons everywhere. I'm sure the UMO community would also be as welcoming. And we just, we can talk about our stories and whatnot. I'm very curious to see how it goes with the change that the Navy's doing with GME and going straight through and- how this will work with sending people GMO. But I guess my other like big piece of advice, which is more like general for all Navy students or military students in general is just to be open and and accepting to everything and like always be excited for the journey. Because I would say my career hasn't always gone exactly how I've planned. It's actually not really gone as planned this entire time, but it's always been a fun adventure and I'm sure when I look back on it down the road, I'll be like, oh, that was really, really cool that I got to do all that. So I would just advise people to not get caught up on this is what I want to do. This is plan A. There's no other option. And then be disappointed or go into a different job disappointed when it's a cool opportunity. And right. be excited. I've heard of many people say like, when else will you get the opportunity to do operational medicine? And so what, what advice do you have for medical students or interns who are interested in going into operational medicine? Like any big picture advice that you would recommend? It sounds like you'd say be flexible. I think that's a really good one, but do you have any other words of wisdom? Yeah, be flexible and like work hard and be good at your job. Like you're going to, especially in operational medicine, you're going to show up to this fleet squadron with these line officers that pretty much automatically respect you because you're a physician and you're there as a medical expert and you're there to provide them with medical recommendations and knowledge. Get there and they're automatic of that mindset of you. So I would just advise you to always like work hard and make sure you have that in mind when you're doing everything and try to not do anything that you would back on and be like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Like that, that would be disappointing if I were this line officer looking down on me. And especially if you're going after intern year, like all of us, I don't know if people will still be doing that, but it's very different. 
like you're going straight from having people helping you, people to turn to, and you're on your own and you have to be decisive and know things. And you may feel like you don't know things because you're post-intern year, but you really do. So you definitely have to trust yourself. I've heard that before. Someone told me that. I, I appreciate hearing that again, the sign. And then the last two questions, we can kind of clump them together, but what are some pitfalls we should avoid as physicians and our officers? Um, and is there anything you wish you knew as a medical student or intern? I feel like you can kind of put them together and that can close us off. If you could just share that, the, that insight, we'd appreciate it. Yeah. Pitfalls. I would say always do the right thing. Like make sure integrity is there because even if you feel like no one's watching, someone probably is, or someone can hear about it later. So I would say always do the right thing and don't be lazy. Like always work as hard as you possibly can at all times. Even when you're very, very tired in the hospital after who knows how long of a shift or last time you slept, always have those as your core belief. And that will definitely help you in the right direction and keep you on the way to like get respect from everyone, nurses, line officers, fellow residents, and your patients as well. So that's what I would say for the pitfalls to avoid and advice from what I wish I would have known as a med student. I guess now it's so different with everything changing. So I hope that people, people that want to go operational still do it and they're still able to do it. Like if that's really what they want to do, there's so many options on how to tackle the Navy. You could get your full straight through contract and finish out your scholarship requirements and be residency trained at the end of it. You could go out to the fleet as a GMO of some kind and finish out your contract there and get out and do a civilian residency and take those experiences with you. Or you can do a mixture of both. Just keep all of that in mind as a med student. I know that I, I felt like I was fairly good about that. Like I knew realistically like this was going to happen. So it wasn't a surprise to me when I did go to flight surgery. I'm just curious to see what's going to happen now with the straight through stuff, like whether or not I'll be going back in two to three years or if I'm going to finish out my tour and get out of the Navy and take these experiences and do a civilian residency. So, yeah. Thanks for sharing. I'm excited to kind of track your, your journey and, and share mine as I go along. It's been really great learning from you. Well, that wraps up our episode with Dr. Brandenburg. Thank you so much for your time and sharing your experiences with us future military physicians. For those of you listening, if you have any recommendations for the podcast or anything you'd like to hear in particular, please feel free to email famopseducationchair at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. All the opinions presented in this podcast are our own and do not reflect the opinions of any branch of the U.S. military or the Department of Defense. Have a great day.